to John chapter 4. We'll continue our study today in John chapter 4. And as each week I have been doing, I want to talk a little bit about the Gospel of John before we start, because we always have a few visitors or we have a few new folks tuning in online. Of course, John is one of the Gospels, the four Gospels as we know them, talking about the life of Jesus. Uh, it's different than the other three, of course. The other three we call the synoptics because they are similar. They are written by different men, but they are similar in the events that they discuss and they describe. John is different. John has a lot of different um, events that occur that we don't see in the other Gospels. He has some that are similar, but it's a whole different style of writing and so forth. And we know why it is written, remember? Turn over to John 20, if you want. And let's read it again. John 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in his name. And what a wonderful statement. I mean, that's the crux of it right there, right? That we know we can have life through Jesus Christ. And John has written down this gospel that we can know who he was and we can believe in him and we can uh, live our lives in accordance with his will, in accordance with God's will, in accordance with the way he lived his life. That's why we become disciples, right? Followers of Jesus, following his example, following his word, following his humility, following his sacrifice. We are to humble ourselves. As John the Baptist said, what? Remember? We must decrease, he must increase. He is now reigning as king in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. We know that here on earth as the church. We are part of that kingdom. We are already really living in eternity when you think about it that way, right? I mean, we are looking forward to that eternal home we're going to have in heaven one day. But we have to live here now. But we are living in that kingdom. We are under his reign. And it's above all else. God raises up nations and he brings them down. We know that from Daniel. And yet, the kingdom of heaven will exist forever, ever and ever. We can take comfort in that. Great comfort, right? Can we not? Isn't that a wonderful thing? We can live in this kingdom and we can have life in his name. Last week, we talked about Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman. Remember that? At Jacob's well, uh, he and his disciples were passing through. Samaria to get uh, from Galilee. Uh, uh, you had to go through Samaria to get from Galilee to Judea to Jerusalem, whatever. And many times we talked about that the Jews would not want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. They thought they were, uh, you know, I guess you could say they were kind of racist about it. And they would go sometimes east of the Jordan around Samaria. But Jesus and his disciples went straight through. Pretty much, you can see right there, Jesus wanted to have contact with the Samaritans. He wanted to have them know who he was. And we read about that, right? We saw Jesus talking to the woman at the well, and he was really evangelizing, wasn't he? He was letting her know who he was, that he was the Messiah. And he did this because he did this through his ability to know about her life, right? Remember what he said to her? That he asked her to bring her husband, remember, and get to the water and he she said, I'm not, I don't have a husband. And he says, you say truly you don't have a husband. You have five. And now the man you're with is not your husband. You can imagine what she thought when he said that, right? How do you know all that? 
right? Well, she saw who he was. She saw that he was at least a prophet. And because of her going and telling others in the city of Sychar, many believed. Many were able to believe because of what he had said, right? Well, what was one of the things that he said when he came to the Samaritan woman, remember? He came to the Samaritan woman, and he talked, started talking about this living water. Remember that? In fact, let's go back and just read that for a second. Go back to John chapter 4, and we'll read a little bit of, just to remind ourselves. Let's just begin in verse 1, John chapter 4, verse 1. And therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So we just talked about all that. And by the way, before I forget it, uh, make sure you check off on the roster that you attended today. Pam's not doing that online anymore, so forgot to remind you. I keep forgetting to remind you about that, so you can do that uh, at any time. All right, so he goes and meets the woman at the well, and then he talks about this living water. And let's continue to read there in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, keep that in mind, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Hmm. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but who Ever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Well, here we have Jesus. He's approached this woman on her way on his way on her on the way to Galilee, and she was amazed. Remember, he's a Jew speaking to a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman at that. Unheard of. Right? Unheard of in those times. And then he starts telling her about this opportunity to have living water. First he says, give me a drink. She's thinking, he's thirsty. But then he starts talking about this living water. Hmm. Well, what is this living water? And what, what is this gift of God that he's talking about in this passage? Well, one thing it's not. I told Jolene I was going to mention this morning, so blame her. She's going to remind me about it. It's not Peter Popoff's miracle spring water, I'll tell you that much. Have you seen those commercials? <laughs> One where he, he sends you a thing of water and then you have all these testimonies that I got a check right after I got your thing of water for 100000 Grand. hundred grand. Anyway, I digress. Whatever. Okay. Questions abound about what the gift of God and living water is. What is it? Well, what is the gift of God? Many say it refers to Jesus, simply Jesus. 
And 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 that that can you know you can kind of you can kind of follow that right you can kind of see that perhaps that's what that means. Others believe it refers to the salvation that he offers, and 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 I can see that too. Perhaps it's simply the gift that God gave us of His Son to sacrifice for our sin. Because without that, what we 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 don't have any hope, right? We're dead. We're dead to our sin. The wages of sin is death. We, we have no hope. We can't help ourselves. We're sinners. Without that gift of sending his son, we have no hope. Well, what is this living water? What is this gift of God? Many say it's a figure for salvation and eternal life, but others might apply it to something else. Turn over to John chapter 7. Let's read a few verses there. John chapter 7, and beginning in verse... Uh, 37. And we've read this before, but we'll read it again. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now this is probably occurring at, at a feast uh, during, the, during the last week or so of his, of his life. He's, it's this feast that the Jews would have during the week of Passover or whatever. And he's saying, as the, and, and it's at a time when the priest, the, pur, the purification time, they're pouring water on the altar, that kind of thing, with a, the, I think it was a crystal pitcher or whatever. Uh, probably during that time when this is occurring, when he's mentioning that, and he's saying, I can give you living water. I will give you living water for those who believe. So, perhaps that's what this is. It's the Spirit. Not so much Jesus or salvation, but he's talking about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Well, another question we might have is, is that Holy Spirit and the, gift, and the living water and the gift of God here the same thing? Or are we talking about two different things? Are, is one of these really talking about Jesus? Is one talking about the Spirit? Is one talking about eternal life? Is the other one talking about the Spirit? What, what exactly are we, are we talking about here? Brother Copeland there in, the, in his outline uh, quotes some uh, folks who have commentaries. For instance, McLaren, where it says, Now it's quite clear that our Lord means the same thing, whatever it may be, by the two expressions, the gift of God and the living water. And when Jesus, there, from Hendrickson's commentary, when Jesus spoke about the gift of God, he meant living water. Some would say maybe that's not the case. Maybe he's talking about two different things. But let's look at that a little bit. Many would believe the gift of God is Jesus, right? And, and we could say, yeah, as we've said, that could be true. But like others, like Brother Copeland, and, and I believe too, I think the living water in this passage is referring to the Holy Spirit. Okay? And we're going to go on and look at that a little further. By this living water... Uh, is meant the Spirit. That's from Matthew Henry's commentary. And from John 7, it's pretty plain that the Savior here is talking about the Holy Spirit, right? When he's referring to living water. Well, is he talking about the same thing there that he's talking about at the well? The living water in John 4 may be an allusion to that gift of the Holy Spirit that comes from what? Our conversion, right? What does Acts 2.38 say? Repent and be baptized, each and every one of you, for the remission of sins. And you shall receive 
the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Interesting. He says in verse 14 there, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And if anyone thirsts, in verse chapter, chapter 7, let him come to me and drink. So, apparently we got to drink, right? We got to do something there. We've got to believe or whatever, you know. We got to, something that's got to be done to be converted, to, to partake of that living water. Just read it, just said it, Acts 2.38, we got to repent and be baptized, right? For the remission of sins, to get that gift of the Spirit. There's been much discussion over the years about what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. Not going to get into that so much today. That's, that could be a whole quarter talking about that. But I believe that's what we're alluding to here. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians 12. Let's look at a verse there. First Corinthians 12, and just read, uh, let's just read verse starting at uh, 12. For as the body is one, and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Interesting, interesting how Paul would use the same allusion, drinking in the Spirit, referring back perhaps to this living water that the Lord is discussing, the Lord is talking about. So perhaps on our conversion, we're drinking of the Spirit, we're receiving that gift of God that he talks about. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look at a couple of verses there. Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> and beginning in verse uh, 8, let's go with 17. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Here, we are not to be drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. So again, talking about drinking something, talking about being filled, filled up with something, right? The implication may be that filling, filling up comes through drinking. Makes sense, right? Pretty easy to understand that. But how do we continue to do that? How do we continue to drink of that Spirit? Well, as we just read there in Ephesians 5, perhaps singing and making melody in heart has something to do with that, right? Perhaps that has something to do with it. We come on Sundays, gather together in our worship services, and what is one of the primary things we do? We sing. And what do we do when we sing? Well, hopefully you do. You're making melody in your heart. It should be a joyous time, right? It should be filling you up, not, not with water, not with wine, but in your heart, right? That's what singing is supposed to do, right? I mean, what are times when you, have you ever had times when you just got to sing? Yeah. You ever drive down the road and your favorite son comes on and you just start singing? Usually probably when nobody's in the car with you, right? Unless you're a good singer, maybe you do. 
Yeah. Those are joyous times. It fills you up in spirit and in your heart, right? Yeah. Think about all, we're going, all the music we're going to hear in the next month or so. We're going to hear some wonderful stuff, and I guarantee you, you're going to be singing along a few times. I know you will. I will. Because you don't hear that stuff on the radio all year, right? But you know them all. Sung them thousands of times. Yeah. Singing. Filling you up. Making melody in your heart. How else do we do that? Turn over to Ephesians 6 there. Let's read, uh, beginning in verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So perhaps another way we are drunk with the Spirit, or we partake of that gift of God, that living water, is through our study of the Word, through our partaking of the spiritual sword, through our understanding what God wants, what His will is in our lives. And then, wait, I just read it there in verse uh, 16, praying for strength through the Spirit. How else would we be becoming drunk with the Spirit? I guess I shouldn't use the word drunk. Drinking in the Spirit. How are we becoming filled with the Spirit? Through our prayer lives. It's those three things that we've talked about over and over and over. We need to have in our lives. Yes, Ms. Debbie. Yes. Very good. Yeah. So Debbie's saying we don't join the church as you join a club or join a committee or whatever. You are added to the church by God. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, that's true. She's saying that's what she believes is adding the gift of the Holy Spirit is you have that or you don't. That's true. That is given when you're conversion occurs and you were added to the church by God as it said in Acts 2 what about added to the church that day about 3,000 on the day of Pentecost so yeah well that's exactly right we are added to the church we don't join it nothing we can do to save ourselves we simply have to have faith and believe right and obey yeah absolutely absolutely and these three verses are tied in with that once you are converted these things that we do to continue to fill ourselves over and over need to be done well Daily, right? Not just on Sundays, not just once a month, not just at Christmas time or Easter. All the time. If you don't do it, dare say you're probably not growing. You're probably regressing. And you're probably in danger of losing your soul. Now, I'm not being judgmental there. I'm just saying that's all part of this drinking of the living water, drinking of that gift of God. 
And then we're going to talk about a little further what this means to us. What this living water of Jesus and what is it concerns Christians. As expressed by Jesus, whoever drinks of this water I, I give will never thirst. What's that mean? Can you never thirst again? Is that possible? You know, we live our daily lives. We wake up in the morning. You know, we go out and exercise or go to work. We get a little thirsty, right? Yeah. I think, what is it? Anybody know 80 or 90% of our bodies are made up of water? or Something like that? You know, it's pretty weird to think about, isn't it? But, you know, when you cut yourself, you bleed. There's a lot of water that comes out of that in that blood. We have to have water to live, right? Water is essential. What is it if someone's stranded out in the ocean or something and, you know, in the salt water they can't drink it and you got, you know, if you have, if you have water, you can live, what, several months or something? I don't know. But, it, but you can live without food for a long time as long as you've got water or something, right? But if you have food and no water, no, no. Yeah, it's very essential. Does the Holy Spirit actually quench? that thirst that we have. Turn over to Isaiah. Let's look at something there. The great messianic prophet, Isaiah chapter 43, I mean 44. And give you a second to get over there. Isaiah 44, let's just begin in verse 1. Yet hear me now, O Jacob my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord, who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob my servant, and you... Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry grounds. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. There is a prophecy right there of the spirit to be poured out on Jacob's descendants, Israel's descendants. And through the Jews, us who were Gentiles, are able to partake in that as well drink of that water if quenching and thirst means our spiritual needs are met how is that done well turn over to romans chapter 5 there let's look at some of that real quick a few verses on that romans chapter 5 All right. verse 5 now hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out into our hearts by the holy spirit who has been given to us all right we have a need for that Holy Spirit. We have a need for that love of God to come to us. How about move over, turn over to chapter 8 there. Let's look at verse, uh, start at verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We have a need for the love of God, right? We have a need to cry out to Him. We have a need for His love and for the flesh to be done away with. Paul's saying, don't live according to the flesh because the flesh is going to die. Live according to that spirit. And then turn over to chapter 15 there. <clears throat> Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing 
that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have hope. We have hope of eternal life. We have a hope of the return of our Savior. We have a hope that our sins are forgiven, that we have that opportunity to live with Him. And Ephesians 3 talks about an inner strength that we get through the Spirit. So in many ways, the Spirit does quench our thirst, right? The thirst for all of these things. The living water, as expressed by Jesus, is within us. Verse 14 said, The water that I shall give him will become in him. Out of his heart, chapter 7. Is the Holy Spirit within us? Stay right there in Romans chapter 8, and let's look at something there. Chapter 8, verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does, does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. You see, our bodies become dead, spiritually speaking. And we are living because we have His Spirit in us, not ours. We decrease, remember? He increases through that Spirit. Turn over back over to 1 Corinthians 6. And I'm, I'm looking at these verses because I know this is something that we wonder about sometimes and we don't fully understand it, but we want to see the verses just to make sure. 1 Corinthians 6, chapter 18. I mean, verse 6, verse 18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You've been bought with a price. When you become a Christian, you're living to Him through that Spirit. It's not about you anymore. It's about Him. That's why John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase. How the Holy Spirit indwells each Christian is, is a bit of a mystery. I mean, we're in the flesh. We can't know physically now in this world what that really means, what that really, how that works, you know? We know it's true. We have his word. We know his word is good. His promises are good. And if we are believers and we live in Him, we know we have that Spirit, just as He told the Corinthians. Something else He said is, it will create a fountain of water springing up. And in verse chapter 7, He said, it will, uh, out, of, out of the heart of the man that has this, will flow rivers of living water. Now, I love that verse because it sounds so good. I mean, when you just think of rivers of flowing water, What's that make you feel? What's that think? What's make you think? You know, it's, it's crisp, clear water. It's refreshing, isn't it? It's it's um, peaceful thing. You know, think about when you're out if you're out in the country, out in the woods, or wherever, by a creek or a river. You know, maybe not the Chattahoochee. I don't know. A lot of trash, I think, goes through there. But whatever. No, but by a flowing river, yeah, it's clear, it's crisp, it's refreshing. Does the Holy Spirit cause us to spring up? Well, he says it right there. How does that happen? Romans 8 said, by making us cry out, Abba, Father. By helping the Christian to abound in hope. 
and by producing fruit. Turn over to Colossians chapter 5 real quick. Colossians chapter 5. And let's read something there. Actually, Galatians chapter 5. I wrote down Colossians for some reason. Okay. There's not five chapters in Colossians, is there? All right. Uh, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If I'm a Christian and I'm living in the Spirit, will people be able to see that? They may not be able to see the Spirit, obviously, but they should see that you're a little different, right? Something's different about you because of your fruit, because of the way you live, because of the way you talk, because of the things you do, because of the people you associate with, because of the things you speak about. That's all part of living in the Spirit. That's all part of drinking in that living water, that gift of God, produces fruit. If you're in the Spirit, you can't help it. You can't help but produce good fruit. It's going to happen. And even though we can't see the Spirit, we can't fully understand what that means, we can kind of know whether we have it or not, right? You ever wonder that? You ever wonder whether you have the Spirit? Perhaps simply by looking at your life. Looking at the way you're living. And that includes me too. All of us. If there's something we're struggling with, perhaps some sin, perhaps something we're not understanding spiritually, perhaps things that make us wonder about God? Maybe we're not fully drinking of that Spirit. Maybe we need to be in prayer. Maybe we need to be in the Word. Maybe we need to be doing a little more service. And don't get me wrong, you can never do enough. I think you're not doing enough. I'm not saying that. But those things are how we drink that in. If you're struggling, if you're not sure if you have the Spirit, then... Get busy. Start drinking. I'm preaching a little bit, I know. But that's how we know. We can know that. We can know we have the Spirit. And when we have the Spirit, guess what? We're saved. That's how we know. Now, I know in the first century, it was probably a little bit easier to know you had the Spirit. If you could do some miraculous things, like speak in tongues perhaps, have special knowledge, that kind of thing. I mean, you pretty much knew you had the Spirit if you could do that, right? 
That all ceased, though. Don't have that anymore. We don't have that outward, miraculous expression of the Spirit anymore. But we can know we have the Spirit. All you got to do is look at your life. How you're walking. Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you truly? And be honest with yourself. All right, I, I don't, I don't want to get too down about that. I, I want the Spirit, I want this living water to be a great thing. I want us to understand that through that living water, as expressed by Jesus, we can have a fountain of water springing up, as he says, to eternal life. We can. We have the promise. It's all there. It's not that we're saying the living water is the everlasting life. What I'm saying is that living water that he gives us is a spirit living through that spirit, dead to ourselves, totally in him, turned over to him, our lives turned over to him, we have that hope of eternal life. Through that spirit, we have to live in this world, but we're waiting. We're waiting for that great time when he returns. The hope, of course, is eternal life, and by that spirit, whom he poured out, who was promised, who was prophesied about, was poured out abundantly through Jesus Christ. We've read Titus 3, 5 before, and we are renewed and justified by His grace and made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Just as Sister Debbie said, He does all that for us. We simply got to turn ourselves over to Him. Have that faith. Obey His commands. And what we just read there about all the fruit, it's interesting how He says, has no law, right? What's the first command, the greatest command? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. If you're doing that, you don't need any law. I know, we've got to have the law to know right and wrong. We can't know that ourselves physically. But if you're living in the Spirit, and you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind... You're going to do the things He wants. You're going to live a life for Him. Sure, you're going to sin. You're going to fall short. But you're constantly drinking in that living water. You're constantly partaking of that gift of God. We're doing that. We can know, as He said to the Samaritan woman, you can know if you knew the gift of God, if you know, knew God was willing, and He is, and He was, and He, he is going to, and who it is who says to you that he's the Messiah, then he will give us that living water. The promise that's been made to all believers in chapter 7 had not yet been fully given. He'd not yet been glorified, which he was later as we know, right? He was raised again and he ascended back into heaven. And what did the angels tell the disciples at that time? This Jesus you saw ascending is coming again. He's coming again. You believe that? You see, his spirit is in us, and that spirit is looking forward to his return. And through your heart, soul, and mind, you should be too. Are you? 
I hope so. I hope during this time you're very thankful. I know this is the time we're to be thankful coming up. But be thankful most and foremost to God for what he's done for you. And thank him for his, giving his spirit to you. However that works in your life, be mindful of that. All right, time is up. Thanks for being here.